This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Realm presents Dark Heights Season 2. Episode 10. Marjot. Begin journal entry. The elevator descended. Its antique wire cage box frame rattled as it traveled on its cables. Inside, above the folding doors, the minute hand of the Art Deco half-moon floor dial was moving to the left from the zero at the top, down to minus one. The moment the hand touched the negative number, a bell clapped, clarion loud in the confined space. I could not recall what rooms or hallways were contained in the basements and sub-basements of the Mercury Thrice Hotel. Of course, the Mercury Thrice had grown considerably since the last time I was here. It wasn't wise to think on the past, not in this moment. A grave danger to me, anything that drew my attention away from life, from being alive. Blood flowing in my veins, my mind, its own strength, its own freedom. The shadows were waiting for me. Another ring of the bell. Minus two. I felt them now, deeper than this. These were not ordinary shadows. They had been gathering down here for some time. Their malice had intensified. It was as if these lower levels of the hotel were a natural hollow in the shape of the world, a tidal pool in the river between life and death. All metaphors. But the anger and the pain and the host of shadows was real. I felt their hate. I felt them rushing toward me. The bell rang out for a minus three, and the elevator shuddered to a sudden stop. The arm of the dial was furthest left, horizontal. At the bottom, then. I gripped the handle of the folded door and pulled it back, flung the cage's accordion gate wide open, stepped out into a pitch-black hallway. The globe of my thomosphere burst into light around me, coruscating red, its surface alive with arcane sigils and rooms that swirled in the fire. This flowering of fire, the heat of it on my face. Jenny and Karen's house on Mayfair Street, burning down. All at once, from all sides at once, sensing my stray thoughts as a hesitation. The shadows came at me, the rage-bent howl of them, a sound that flayed skin from bone. 
I open my excoriations. The ribbons of light shed scarlet sparks, cutting white hot against the dark. But first, let me explain how I came to be there. Don't worry, little wing. I'll come back to what happened next. Don't you worry about me. You will remember that I told Will Severand I knew of a place. He'd been worried that the Watchers would always be able to find Lina, being connected to her in the way that all of them are connected, each to the other. The Mercury Thrice Hotel does not exist in our world. Rather, it exists in its own. From time to time, it comes to touch this world, and there are those who leave it and those who enter. And if you know how to call it, so that it turns one of its corners to touch one of the corners of the city in which you stand, the Mercury Thrice can be summoned, and its doors will open for you. Except there was a problem. I wasn't welcome there. At the apartment in Pasadena, the Chantresses had been waiting for me to return from my meeting with Will. I told them what I'd talked about with the Child of the Watchers, I did not tell them about my conversation with Madero. In fact, Dalalay was regarding me somewhat archly as I ended my summation without having mentioned him. Doubtless, she knew. Eleanor asked the pertinent question. What actually is this place that you know of where Lena can be free of the Watchers? I really hope you're not talking about here, the Mercury Thrice Hotel. Nomi actually whistled. That's a myth, isn't it? She looked at Eleanor and Dalalay. Isn't it? Dalalay laughed. Apparently not. I haven't suddenly lost my mind. It's a real place, in a manner of speaking. Eleanor sighed. Cryptic murder wizards suck. Nomi was excited. You know how to find it? Of course. I helped to create it. Eleanor rolled her eyes. Nomi said, That's so cool. Dalalay yawned. I think someone should come with me. Nomi's hand shot up. Me? Oh, me! Eleanor said, Why? The hotel's maitress will be less likely to have me beaten to death if at least one of you is there, looking like you're on my side. Nomi's hand went down slowly. Count me out of it, Eleanor said. I'll go. Nomi was nodding. I'll still go. Dalalay went over to her. Be careful. You know me. Yes, and I worry. This is dangerous now. Everything we do creates a consequence. Every decision we make tilts the balance. We aren't safe anymore. What we're doing, opposing the Watchers like this, we're risking our lives now. With Dalalay's warning in mind, Nomi and I left the apartment. She insisted on driving us in the roadster. Why are you wearing that hat? And where are we going exactly? Hollywood. Feel like telling me what we're actually doing? I like Nomi. Her adventurous spirit was infectious. We need an old hotel. The Mercury Thrice will briefly intersect with our reality, if I call it. But it's much easier to do in a place that's similar, where there are echoes. There's a lot of old hotels around. I know. 
Earlier, an image came into my mind suddenly. A picture of Marilyn Monroe in a white bathing suit, lounging at the swimming pool of the Hollywood Roosevelt. I don't think it's a coincidence. The Mercury Thrice has always sent glimmers of itself into my awareness. After all, I was one of the five Archimages who established it. So, I think we'd better follow that up. We struggled to find parking anywhere near Hollywood Boulevard, which made me doubt my decision for more than a moment. There were an astounding number of tourists along the Walk of Fame, outside of Grumman's Chinese Theater, up and down the street. Yet soon enough, we found our way into the main lobby of the Roosevelt. I went to the front desk, looking for something specific, something difficult to obtain these days. Finally, I had to ask the desk clerk, Matches? Do you have a book of matches? They did. Nomi followed me closely as I went back outside. I tore out all the matches from the book, except for one. Then I lit this last match. I looked through the flame of it at the front doors of the Roosevelt. Those doors now opened into another world. Now, right now. Nomi didn't move fast enough. I grabbed her hand and pulled her with me, lunging. The both of us slammed through the doors. Then we found ourselves inside the Mercury Thrice. Its lobby was unchanged since 1929, a pinnacle of Art Nouveau elegance and grandeur. Polished brass railings at the front desk, at the lobby bar to our right, the plasterwork of the vaulted ceiling swooping in ornate scallops. There were deep plush armchairs and glass coffee tables arrayed to our left. I remembered sitting there, once upon a time, reading newspapers from all over the world attached to wooden dowels, pouring steamed milk into narrow glasses of rich, strong coffee served on gilded silver trays. I never thought you'd dare to strike that match. My head turned at the sound of the voice. La Doyenne. I took on Penpon off and bowed. Beside me, Nomi copied my bow, awkwardly. La Doyenne moved as if floating across the black and white marble floor tiles, coming forward into the light that shone through the tall glass doors of the entrance. Behind her, two of her dedicated Katha-Wu monks followed silently. They wore simple light brown robes cinched at the waist with rope. Their heads were shorn to the scalp except for a queue of hair bound at the back. Then I realized that La Doyenne had become a man. In 1929, she had been a fixture in the Shanghai underworld and the Shanghai nightlife, as famous for her ruthlessly straight-cut Cheng Sam dresses as she was for being ruthless in business affairs. It was many decades later. La Doyenne had not aged at all. They had changed their gender, yet everything else was the same. Their black hair was piled high, pinned with jade and silver. Their Cheung Sam dress with its aquamarine and sunflower yellow abstract pattern was as beautiful as any dress I'd seen them wear. They said, La Diane, I've not been called that in a long time. How unsurprising that you condescend to use the colonial appellation. 
Your order was always the first true colonizer. The European nations emulated your hidden power as they brought oppression and exploitation to the four corners of the earth. I bowed my head to them as low as I could. I apologize sincerely. It was a mistake, falling into old habits. I should have called you Sorcerer Emperor, as is proper for you, Li Fengyang. Sorcerer Empress, if you're insisting on propriety. I was a woman when I ruled from Linan. However, you may plainly and simply call me Li. Despite everything, we are friends still, are we not? I was hoping so. And who is your companion? I said, This is Nomi. Nomi said, Nomi Jones. She's a chantress. Then she'll understand why there is unfinished business between us, Major. The last time you left, you and your brother Archimages attempted to destroy this place soon after. Nomi punched me in the shoulder. I should have known. I said to Nomi it was complicated. And to Lee, I've always regretted my part in what happened. Enough to make amends. I caught the tone in their voice. There's a reason you let me come back. There is. And there's a reason I came. Then we have the beginnings of an agreement. Let the negotiations commence. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. It didn't take long for Lee to come to an arrangement with me. Afterwards, Nomi and I were told we were free to explore the hotel. She was properly in awe of the place. I showed her the grand ballroom 
the hotel restaurant, the cinema theater. All of it held memories for me. The 1920s. In many ways, it was a high age for the Archimagean Order. The Watchers had revealed themselves to us in 1913. Across the world, we mobilized for war. We felt we were invulnerable, as yet untested against our adversary. All of it would change soon, but until then, our confidence was unshaken. One particular city in the world had become a center point of magical energies, a place of chaotic, ever-shifting politics, an open city where free enterprise was inseparable from murderous criminal moxie. Shanghai. It was my very first assignment in the order. Newly fledged, I was one of the Archimages sent to Shanghai in 1929 in order to establish an Archimagean exostate in the city. We controlled several of these in the world, most notably our citadel at the Sorbonne in Paris. An exostate was a pocket reality, a sliver of space adjacent to the world, but discreet from the rest of it. These exostates were our refuges, our oases, our hidden places of power. My brothers and I completed the work required. We transformed the Mercury Thrice Hotel into an exostate, and almost immediately after, we lost control of it. Walking next to me, Nomi finally brought up the subject of what Lee and I had discussed. You're going to do what Lee asked you to do? Yes. You're going to dispel the shadows from the lower levels? I don't think I have much choice. Lee agreed that we can bring Lena and Tess here if I do this for her. For him. Them. I mean. At first I'd said no to Lee, but they'd been adamant about it. The lower levels of the hotel had become dangerous, unusable, unstable. Shadows were massing there. It was a sign that the hotel's magical energies were fraying at the edges to allow such access from outside the exostate, for these shadows to have been able to gather unchecked. I think the hotel itself was leading us into its heart as we walked the halls. There were some doors that were locked, others standing open. The lamps down certain corridors came on ahead of us, while others remained darkened. There were only a handful of guests at the hotel. Nomi and I saw a gentleman in a top hat in a suit that was likely tailored in the 19th century, sitting alone in the restaurant. The cinema was showing something silent, starring Mary Pickford, and there were only two or three patrons in the auditorium. At the end of the 20s, despite the market crash in America, this place had been alive with activity. Every room sold out, a big band playing in the ballroom every night, with Joe and Nellie Farron, the exhibition dancers. I suppose the clientele had changed when we removed this place from reality. Soon Nomi and I came to a cloistered space at the center of the Mercury Thrice. It was a courtyard open to the sky. There were trees that grew at the center of circular flagstone paths. Stone benches and tables were arrayed throughout. I recalled Master Nakamura's visit in 1929. He'd come to measure our progress as we worked to establish the Exostate in Shanghai. We had played a game of chess at one of the stone tables. 
It had lasted an afternoon, then an evening, into the night, and morning had dawned before the last move was played. Though I lost the game, I remember feeling proud to have challenged Nakamura in this way, and I believe his estimation of me rose in that moment. Nomi seated herself at the very same chess table. There were no pieces now on the black and white squares. She said, Too bad we can't play. I'm pretty good. Yes, too bad. If you're going to go down into some basement to mess around with the spirits of the dead, you're going to need my help. I'm not sure I want to risk something like that. Nomi went on, undeterred. It's called anchoring. We do it for each other all the time. You saw us doing it for Eleanor when she was scrying Lena. My strength goes into your workings. Basically, it's still all you, but you've got a boost from me, and I'm like a reserve tank of power to draw from, too. I don't want to do this at all. Because it's dangerous? It is, but no, that's not it. Being that close to shadows, it will expose me to their side of life and death. There are my own beloved on that side. I don't know what would happen if one of them came to me. All the more reason for me to anchor. I can pull you back. I nodded. It would seem to be a sensible thing to do then. We went to find Lee. They were seated at the lobby bar, sipping a Singapore sling. One of the Qatar Wood was their bartender. It was an odd sight, the grimly silent monk, dressed in medieval Chinese mendicant robes, cleaning a cocktail glass with a checkered bar towel. Lee had agreed that Nomi could make herself comfortable in a room. She needed a place to meditate, undisturbed. This work of anchoring would take her outside of herself, and any interruption from her environment could possibly break the connection. In the room, Nomi said, I'll need something of yours. I removed Unpenpan and gave it to her. Your weird hat works. When she took it from me, she looked down at it sharply, then up at me. This was enchanted. That's even better. The power I'd worked into it is gone now. What was it? Concealment. The enchantment changed my appearance. While I was wearing it, everyone who interacted with me would see me as someone different. Never myself. Very cool. I realized that all of the things I'd used to hide from the Watchers for these last many years were no longer mine or no longer held their power. On Penbon, Crybaby, my deck of cards, erased, and Tatai. What had become of my golem? In the rush of events, I hadn't considered it. But Tatai was still out in the world somewhere, probably not far from Park Heights. It was impossible to say if its unnatural hunger would be stronger than its desire to learn, to find acceptance, to become human. Nomi watched me as I was lost in thought. I think those days of running and hiding have come to an end. We're not ready for another war with the Watchers. It's coming, though, isn't it? 
I thought it was all that I wanted. A last war. To take them all on. To take some of them with me at the end. Because I was tired. I'd given up. War was my death wish. War is redemption's daydream. Then, only a few hours later, in the basement hallway of the Mercury Thrice, surrounded by shadows, my excoriations unfurled their fire. With Nomi's strength added to mine, I felt her presence in the magic, a thrilling sense of access to greater power. I worked with a masterful ease and grace in the flow of magic. Moving forward, I pointed at each black shape as it bore down upon me. The excoriations leapt out from the thomosphere like solar flares shooting out from the surface of the sun. The shadows were the dead, yet they retained volition of a kind. There was a madness in them that came from never letting go of the living, never being able to separate. Over time, the pain and torture of no longer being alive had turned them into monstrous things, twisted shapes, beings of rage. An Archimagian excoriation touched the black substance of them. They were obliterated forever. I snuffed them out. The fire of magic burned them out, one by one, those that fell upon the surface of the thomosphere, reaching with ragged claws to rend my flesh, were incinerated in eruptions of lightning. They kept coming. They kept rising from below, hundreds upon hundreds. You were not among them, little wind. This had been my fear from the start. Yet all these restless dead were unknown to me. And so, I destroyed them all. Then I understood, looking into the gathered mass of shadows rising up from below, that there was a deeper movement at work. There was a current in the river of them, sweeping inexorably past the hotel toward another endpoint. These dead, thronging here at the Mercury Thrice, were only a tributary. They were a side effect of what was coming. I became numb to myself as I burned the shadows out of the hotel. The excoriations branched and forked and struck each ghostly shape that loomed into my field of vision. And then it was over. I was alone inside my thomosphere. I broke its geometry with a thought. The moment the sphere of light and fire winked out, I fell to one knee and fell against the wall of the hallway, slumping over. It wasn't long before the Katawu found me. Nomi was with them. She knelt next to me and took my head in her hands, peering into my eyes. I breathed with difficulty, but said, I'm fine. You don't look fine. I needed to tell Lee that there was going to be a shadow flood. We had to prepare the hotel against it. Lee's sorcery, augmented with the magical discipline of the Katawu, was enough to maintain the hotel's ongoing existate. But the shadow flood would break like a tidal wave against their barriers. But there was something else. I felt a pressure somewhere out in the world, reflected in myself. Will Severand had applied his Watcher's power to the card from my deck I had let him keep. It was a message. He was ready. It was time for Lina and Tess to escape from Arson. You're listening to Dark Heights Season 2. Dark Heights is a Realm production. Realm, 
your portal to another world. Listen away. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller. Produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, and Julian Yap. Starring Dion Graham, Julia Whalen, and Neil Helligers. Sound design, editing, mixing, and mastering by Kaylin West. Original music by Chris Miller. Music supervision by Marcus Bagala. Production manager, Alexis Latshaw. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Dark Heights by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.